0: Welcome to the Truth Wars Podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. Olin has recently published a new book titled Bible Crawling, Finding Joy in God by Journaling Through the Psalms. You can find Olin's book on That's Wipfandstock.com. That's wipf stock.com as well as Amazon.com. Now, here's Olin. Okay, if you have your Bibles, let's open up to Psalm chapter 9. Psalm chapter 9, and while you're turning there, I want you to think about, I'm not going to ask you to share out loud, but just think in your own mind, where in life are you experiencing the most hardship now, or say it a different way, where are you experiencing the most negative emotions, whether that's pain, anger, confusion, doubt, frustration, concern, is there there any place in your life where you might say, if I'm honest about how I feel, not how I think, How I feel is I feel forgotten by God. Um, Another way to ask maybe a similar question. Where in your life do you experience the biggest gap between what you say you believe, your theology, what you think you believe, and then where your feelings line up with the theology? And, And let me just say, in my experience, most Presbyterians, most conservative Western evangelicals, we're not very good at being honest about that gap. Sometimes we're totally unaware of it. And then other times we're aware of it, but we don't want to talk about it. Because that makes us look less, in, less spiritually mature than we want to appear. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Two quick examples. I had a friend at one point, and he would always talk about, you know, he'd be like, you know me, I don't care about what anybody thinks about me. You know, I, I don't care about people's opinion. And, but then he was often also saying, well, you know, what that guy said really hurt my feelings. You know, what they did, it really offended me. And it's like, brother, I don't know if you can see the discrepancy, but I can. I mean, you're always kind of boasting in how you don't care about what anybody thinks about you. And then sometimes five minutes later in the same conversation, you're talking about how angry you are at what somebody said to you. It's a problem. Seemed totally unaware. Another time, had a good friend of mine. We were in a Bible study together, was men's Bible study. A group of guys, knew each other, trusted each other. It was pretty, pretty honest and vulnerable. In the beginning of the Bible study, one of the things we were talking about is where in your life do you tend to doubt the goodness of God? And this guy was like, you know, I, I really don't think I doubt the goodness of God in any area of my life. And he wasn't trying to be arrogant or anything. He was just like, I, he's like I, that doesn't resonate with me. I don't think I doubt the goodness of God in any area of my life. About an hour later at the end of the Bible study, we were having a little bit more of like confession, accountability, prayer time. And he's like, hey, I need to confess. I've really been struggling with pornography lately. And I'm a good enough friend with this guy that I was able to... I think i waited wait until after the Bible says I said, don't you see the discrepancy? <laughs> at some level, if you're a Christian, he's a married guy, and you're struggling with pornography, at some level what's going on at a heart level is you're doubting God's good provision for you in a certain area of your life, and you think you have to go outside the balance to get it. Make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. We all have these gaps, right? <clears throat> unless you're Jesus, you have a gap like this too. Or unless you just have terrible theology, Uh, Then you say, yeah, my life lines up with all my bad theology. But I don't think that's where the average Briarwood Sunday School person is living. Most of us tend to have pretty pristine theology. But there are, I guarantee you, there's at least one place in your life where your theology doesn't exactly match your practice and your feelings and your emotion. And the more we can be aware of that and honest about that, that's how you make progress in bridging the gap. Does that make sense? And to the degree that you remain unaware, or you're aware, but you're kind of like, I don't like to talk about that. That's how you keep the gap big, and maybe even grow it. So, Psalm chapter 9. Psalm 9 and 10 were almost certainly, originally, one psalm, one unit. Uh, One of the ways you can see this is Psalm 10 doesn't have a title, and they think it just kind of flows right along with Psalm 9. But the main way is if you were to read this in the Hebrew, it's an acrostic, meaning that every line starts with the next letter in the Hebrew alphabet. If we did it in English, we might say apples are red, boys are big, cars are fat. Now, um, it's a broken acrostic, which happens every once in a while in the Psalms, which means a couple of letters get left out. And people will debate, well, did we lose a couple of verses in translation? Or more likely, this was an artistic form that you wrote an acrostic and you intentionally left a couple letters out, and we'll talk about why a little bit later. But the psalm starts out with a lot of praise, a lot of great theology. Let's start in verse 1. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonders. Now the word wonders there, it, it tends to mean like the great redemptive acts of God in history. Right For the ancient Israelites, a lot of times that was the salvation from Pharaoh the Exodus, the Red Sea, remember what God has done for us. For us, it would be talking about the cross of Christ. But it's also important not just to talk about the grand historical redemptive works of God, although that's obviously super important, but also to talk about the more personalized times where God has done a redemptive work in your life, okay? Um, Verse 2, I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before you, for you have ma- maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne judging righteously. So you see what David does there? He says, right now, God, I'm talking about personal times in my life where I experienced your goodness. So preach the cross to yourself, preach the gospel to yourself, preach your own history to yourself, remind yourself of specific times God came through and answered a prayer in your life, and do that as a family. I heard a, a preacher this past week I was listening to, and he says, I kind of have my own personal liturgical calendar. And you're like, what is this guy talking about? Because this guy is a little bit more of a Pentecostal than I was listening to. They don't tend to, you know And he said, He said, here's what I mean. Like every year on the day when I became a Christian, I talked to my kids about it. I kind of celebrate, hey, this was the day God saved your dad. Right. I, I've heard Jennifer, uh, Pastor Reader's daughter, doing some of this, saying, hey, let me tell you about the story about how my dad came to Christ or my dad was... It's good to remember more personal examples of how God's worked in your life and your family's life. It brings it home more. i give a real practical example that I didn't plan. It just happened to me. When, when we used to live in Florence, Alabama. My wife works in the fitness industry and a little small town. She was a big fish in that little pond. She had lots of different jobs at lots of different gyms, and people knew her and liked her, and we moved to Birmingham, and she's excited to keep her career going, and the first few places she applied here in Birmingham, it's like they were all saying, nope, we don't have any openings. Uh, you can work in the nursery if you want to. You can put your name on the waiting list, and you know, she's like crushed, you know, I mean, almost pointed tears. I can't find a job, and you know, even Gold's Gym won't hire me, this kind of stuff. And then, literally, it's worth kind of praying and trusting. Uh, this has been 19 years ago. Uh, we live on Highway 119. They opened up this health spa, St. Vincent's 119, a fitness center, and she got hired in on the ground floor, and it turned into this great job, and they were paying her more. And it, I mean, just it was this perfect scenario. She had to wait a little while. So yesterday, literally, I'm just driving past that gym, and it just hit me. I was thinking about something in my life, right, where I'm having to wait on the Lord. That's never fun, right? God, would you give me more situations in my life where I just have to wait? <laughs> Anybody pray on that one? <clears throat> but I got one, and, and as I drive past the gym, just a thought of, I remember when Lena was going through that. Nineteen years ago. And she was dist- distraught might be too strong of a word, but I don't know, close, right? There was tears. It was sadness. There was a feeling forgotten by God. And in that case, it was very easy for me, the godly husband that I am, to <laughs> preach the truth to her. God has a good plan for your life, life honey. Just wait and trust. And but it was helpful for me driving back and saying, oh, yeah, I, I need to take my own medicine. I need to take the biblical medicine and, and trust and wait. It makes sense. Okay? So David's doing this. He's praising, he's worshiping. Keep going, verse 5. You have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy has come to an end in perpetual ruins. And you have uprooted the cities. The very memory of them has perished. But the Lord abides forever. He has established his throne for judgment, and he will judge the world in righteousness. He will execute judgment for the peoples with equity. The Lord also will be a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, O oh Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. I mean, The theme of kind of the first half of Psalm 9 is God remembers his people. You seek him. You do the basic things of prayer and worship and Bible study and going to church and confessing your sin. You seek God, and He will not forget you. He will remember you. He will not forsake you. Okay? Um, verse eleven and twelve, saying, "Praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Declare among the peoples His deeds, for He who requires blood remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted." See the thing? The, the wicked people, God's going to require their blood one day the oppressors in fact and David's like I got plenty of stories in my life of how he did it for me Mm -hmm. and the weak the hurting the oppressed who go to God who seek God God's not going to forget them God's going to hear them God's going to remember them he's going to act he's going to take care of you now if we just stop right here it's a sunshiny day isn't it Mm
1: -hmm.
0: (laughs) I mean we can go into worship we can say John Haynes would you take you know Psalm 9 verses 1 through 12 turn it into a modern day praise song it'll fit perfect Just happy, happy, joy, joy. God's good. (laughs) The bad guys get killed. The good guys win. Right? What else do you want? But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. It keeps going. And and pure praise, that's really how this thing starts. There was really no prayer request in the first 12 verses. It's just praise. It's just hallelujah. It's it's a chorus. It's a singing. But then it's going to turn into prayer. It's going to turn into request. Verse 13. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me, you who lift up from the gates of death. So it's like, hey, God, you got this reputation of lifting your people up from the gates of death when they're really struggling. They think they're about to die. And oh, by the way, yes, you've done a lot of great things in the past, and I'm happy about it, and I'm happy to sing your praises, but all my enemies aren't dead yet. There's still people persecuting me. There's still people coming after me. I still feel afflicted. I still need help. I'm not home yet. I'm still in the battle. David is a realist. Right? David is not a uh, naive optimist. You have friends like that? Don't elbow anybody. Okay? It's not David. It's not biblical. And, And at first, this can sound a little bit like a record scratch. Can it not? David, it was so happy and joyful, man. Why'd you have to go dark on us? Because <laughs> he lives on planet Earth like me and you. And he's honest about what's really going on. Okay. Almost certainly, this is why this poem is a broken acrostic. In a sense, poetically, a full acrostic would say, everything on planet Earth works just the way it's supposed to. But as a broken acrostic, say, no, 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 we live east of Eden. There's a lot of brokenness. And so God's still sovereign. God's still sovereign. God still has a plan. God's going to land the plane just right at the right time but it is going to be a bumpy ride. So hang on and don't be shocked when the hardship comes. Verse 14. That I may tell of all your praises that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. It's Paul's side note, important one. The best You really want to get your prayers answered? There's there's multiple different reasons you can give to God. Here's why you should answer my prayers. But here's always the best. I want you to answer my prayers, Lord, so your glory can be magnified more. It's not the only motive for good prayers. That's the best motive. And David's doing that. Verse 15. That nations have sunk down in the pit which they have made, and the net which they have hid their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment in the works of his own hands. The wicked is snared. Two things here. David is going back to meditating on some of the truth. God, I, I know your pattern. I know the way you work. You don't let the wicked thrive in the long run. You always win. And oftentimes, and you see this come out a lot in the Psalms, there's a boomerang effect to sin. You understand what I mean by that, right? I don't, I don't know if we've ever used a boomerang, okay, but right, we've probably seen it in some movie about an Australian person. You throw it out, and it comes back. When I was in college, me and my roommates, we a bunch of pranksters, we loved to play pranks on one another, and one of the kind of best pranks was kind of get a small size cooler, fill it full of ice water, and then put it on top of the refrigerator so that the lip of it was out over the freezer door so if somebody wasn't paying attention when they opened the freezer, it just came dumping down. It was glorious.
1: <laughs>
0: but you know what happened to me at least once? I set it up for one of my roommates, and then I got in a hurry later. running, class, And I opened it, and I just doused myself. <laughs> and what the Bible is saying is That's what God does to people that persevere in sin. Maybe the greatest biblical example would be Haman. I hate Mordecai. I hate these Jews. I got a secret plot. I'm going to build these gallows and I'm going to hang him on it. Esther had a secret plan too and Haman ended up getting hung on his own gallows. Historically, you know, the French Revolution Marie Antoinette was the queen. The guillotined her. Just read this this week. Within nine months, everyone that had been involved in the trial, the judge, the jury, the prosecutor, the witnesses, they'd all been guillotined. There is something true to what goes around comes around. Okay. Now, verse 17. The wicked will return to Sheol, even all the nations who forget God. For the needy will not always be forgotten. Guys, you know, i got to turn the page. I don't know if you do or not in your Bible, okay? But just, just keep right there, okay? The needy will not always be forgotten in verse 18. And then look back to verse 10 at the end. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Now that's a very similar word, forsaken or forgotten, right? You see what he said? Righteous people don't ever get forsaken. And then he's like, the righteous people won't always be forgotten. Because he's wrestling with the realism. There will be times, even for the most godly among us, where you feel forgotten. And it's not just like you're an emotional crybaby. It's like the circumstances of life, if any honest, objective judge looked at it and said, yep, it looks like you've been forgotten, Practically speaking. But David says, you won't stay there. Arise, O Lord. Do not let man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. Guys, do you see the wrestling that David is doing here in prayer? Listen, my goal this quarter, whatever else you do, Take a psalm every day. Make it a part of your personal prayer life. Meditate on it. Journal over it. Why? Because the the psalms tend to be so much more raw and real and thus relevant to our emotional life than the average American is. Whatever doesn't kill me makes me stronger. Never let them see you sweat. Nothing to see here. Keep calm, carry on. It's just not real. Listen, part of the reason I love teaching this, because a lot of times men are like, well, you know, I'm, I don't want to cry like a girl. This is King David. Mm-hmm. He killed giants with his bare hands. I mean, he is the ultimate man's man. And if you read just the historical accounts of David, tell me if you <laughs> haven't ever had this, you're like, is this guy for real? Mm-hmm. He's so godly, mm-hmm. he's so humble, he's so patient. It's like, he had a couple of really bad blow-ups. But for the most part, you're like, this guy got just about everything right. How did he do it under such trying circumstances? And then you go read the prayers that he was praying during that time, and he sounds like a middle school girl. And no offense, okay? Right? But just, everybody hates me, nobody likes me. The fact that he was able to vent his emotions to the Lord like that and process them. Is what gave him the strength to go through all those hardships and know when do I wait? When do I move forward? When do I act in strength? When do I act in patience? The right kind of prayer life, meditation life. It's a mix. In one sense, I'm like, okay, one second. Don't you have this in your own life, guys? I hope you do. Thank you, God. It's been so good. But I still got some real problems. Why can't you hurry up and fix this one too? But I trust you. I know you're going to. You, you got a pattern. But I'm struggling. I'm struggling, God. That's real prayer. That's what it's supposed to look like. Chapter 10 just keeps going. Amen. Why do you stand afar off, O oh Lord? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Do y'all pray like that, guys? I'm concerned that I don't think enough of us do. Because we kind of think it's blasphemous. And if it helps you, just put a seam in there. Why do you seem to stand far off the Lord? Why do you seem to hide yourself in trouble? But guys... you have something, this is a total hypothetical, but hypothetically, if you had something about your spouse that was really frustrating, it's not always wise to bring it up in that moment. Surely we've all learned that one, right? That doesn't always go well. Why not? Lots of reasons, but for whatever reason, at least one reason is they may not always be in a place to handle that constructive criticism or complaint or whatever we want to call it. Correct? Myself included. I, I think that I'm pretty good at handling that stuff but there have been times when Lena has said to me would you like some feedback? And I'm like not now. Save it. <laughs> you know, it won't go well for either one of us to have this conversation right now. So just I'm going to go for a really long walk and hopefully I'm going to talk to God and maybe we can talk later. God can always handle it guys. Whatever your feelings, whatever your frustration, whatever your anger, whatever your doubt, whatever it is, God is so sufficient. In the most loving way, he says, bring it on. You're not gonna overwhelm me. And here's the real secret. Whatever you're dealing with, he already knows. You're not gonna surprise him. And so when you're down there like, hey God, I'm fine, I'm just singing my praise songs. He's like, you know I got x-ray vision into your heart. I know you don't mean any of these songs you're singing. So why don't you just quit singing them and let's have a real conversation. Verse 2. In pride, the wicked hotly pursue the afflicted. Let them be caught in the plots which they have devised. Here's what I want to happen, Father. Father. For the wicked boast of his heart's desire, and the greedy man curses and spurns the Lord. The wicked and the haughtiness of his countenance does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgment's on high, out of his sight. As for all his adversaries, he snorts at them. He says to himself, I will not be moved. Throughout all generations, I will not be in adversity, his mouth is full of curses and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue is mischief and wickedness. He sits in the lurking places of the villages in the innocent Excuse me. In the hiding places, he kills the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the unfortunate. He lurks in a hiding place as a lion in his lair. He lurks to catch the afflicted. He catches the afflicted when he draws him into his net. He crouches, he bows down, and the unfortunate fall by his mighty ones. You see what he's doing? He's just venting his heart. God, the wicked are thriving. The wicked are winning. The wicked are murdering people. They lie. They curse. They steal. They're arrogant. They boast. They say they don't even believe in you. Do something. Where are you? When God seems silent, that's how you're supposed to pray. Vent your heart to Him. Be honest when you feel forgotten. verse 11. He says to Himself, God has forgotten. He has hidden His face. He will never see it. Now, just compare for a second. Look at verse 4 and verse 11. And see if you notice anything strange. Both of those are about the wicked, thinking to himself, talking to himself. Do you see the discrepancy? In verse 4, he says, there is no God. In verse 11, he says, God has forgotten. Guys, here's the atheist, right? There is no God. And if there is, he's not paying attention, right? It's, It's like, there is no God, and I hate God. There is no God, and I'm angry at him. I mean, this has been going on for thousands of years. But the reality is, why, why are there wicked people that say, I don't even think there is a God? Deep, deep in the basement of their soul, Romans 1 tells us everybody knows there's a God. The worst atheist, right? Atheists may say they don't believe in God, but God says emphatically, he doesn't believe in atheists. They know. But what they're saying is, God doesn't seem real. I seem like I'm living with impunity, getting away with it. That's the depth of the wickedness. So... How do, you, how do you pray? How do you keep praying, doing the right stuff, seeking God, going to church, reading your Bible, all that, when it doesn't seem to be paying off for you, so to speak? You don't be, seem to be getting the answers to prayer you want. And the wicked people who are cursing God seem to be thriving. You ever wrestle with that? I mean, what's the point of all this righteousness if I don't get some rewards at some point? Again, we don't say that one out loud at church. (laughs) But you ought to say it in prayer. You persevere. You just persevere. You keep doing it. You keep praying. You keep praising. Look at verse 12. Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. Do not forget the afflicted. Why has the wicked spurned God? He has said to himself, you will not require it. He thinks they can get away with it. You have seen it, for you have beheld mischief and vexation to take it into your hand. The unfortunate commits himself to you. You have been the helper of the orphan. Break the arm of the wicked and the evildoer. Basically, stop their power. Everywhere they have power, stop them. Seek out his wickedness until you find no more. Basically, God, bring an end to all wickedness on planet earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The Lord is king forever and ever. Nations have perished from His land. Now he's back to meditation. What he's saying is, you know, there used to be a lot of pagan nations that dominated in the promised land and most of them are wiped out. Can't even remember all their names. Again, God, I know you got this pattern. I'm just, I'm begging you to be faithful to keep working according to this pattern. Verse 17. Oh Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear. When you persevere in prayer like this long enough, guys, part of what happens is there's a strength of soul that the Lord gives where it's almost like, I know you hear me, God. I know you hear me. Even though nothing has changed on planet Earth, there's a feeling you have heard me and you're going to give me the strength to be faithful. Maybe just for the next 24 hours and I'll have to go through this whole wrestling process again tomorrow morning. But you at least have given me enough strength to be faithful today. To vindicate the orphan and the oppressed, so that man who is of the earth will no longer cause terror. Talking to a few friends this week. One guy's um, got a six-year-old kid, thinks he has autism. They can't even get in to get tested for the next two years. So he's like, "I've been wrestling in denial. I finally come around to maybe he does have autism, and now we can't get a test for two years, so we're just waiting. Another guy, hard marriage, harder to divorce. That's usually how it works. And now it's the co parenting, trying to figure that one out, right? I mean, total side note that's enough of a reason to stay married in and of itself, right? <laughs> trying to figure out the co parenting. Another guy with a kid who's far from the Lord, probably lost. And it just struck me in a fresh way this week the life of faith is often, it's just a waiting game. i right? talking to my buddy that may have an autistic son. It's like, he's like, I just want to know for sure. I just want the diagnosis. And if I was in his shoes, I'd be the exact same way, right? I want to know. But here's the thing. Once you get the diagnosis one way or the other, then you still got a life of trouble. Now, what do we do with the diagnosis? That waiting game will be over, and guess what will open up? Another lifelong waiting game. The life of faith will always be a waiting game to some degree. And we all have this gap between our theology and our feelings. And this type of prayer and wrestling is how you you slowly but surely, by God's grace, start to bring them together. I got a couple things in my life feeling some of this hardship. And I have found myself at times going to bed, a lot of times, not every night, but a lot of times when I go to bed, I try to practice the whole cast my anxieties on the Lord, for He cares for me, right? Get them off my heart. You end up sleeping better. But literally, sometimes I'm going to bed. Sometimes my wife's already in the bed asleep. I've caught myself even saying this out loud. I don't get you, God. And then I'll say, I submit to you. I submit to you, but I don't get you. His ways are not our ways, right? And that's been helpful for me. He's become like a little mantra. I don't get you. I do submit to you, but I don't get you. Two movies, okay? Braveheart, hope you've seen it. If not, spoiler alert, it's 25 years old. So um, I remember the first time I saw it, I was in high school. And, you know, it's, it's supposed to be this great action movie. That's why a high school senior goes to see it, not because it starts out as a love story. But, you know, William Wallace marries his wife in secret. And then at some point she's attacked by some of the English troops. And William Wallace comes to the rescue and sets her free. And they go their separate ways, but she gets called again. And there's this scene where the English nobleman is like, I'm going to kill her. And he's walking her out to this post again. And she's kind of scanning the hills. And I remember watching the movie the first time thinking, surely William Wallace is about to ride up. And he puts her and he cuts her throat and she dies. And it was just this horrifying. You know, even for an 18-year-old boy, like, this is gut-wrenching. But there are times we feel like that in the Christian life, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Like I'm looking to the hills for God to come over the hill and save me. And it's like, he ain't coming. At least not in the timetable in the way that I thought that he would. Another movie, much lesser known, called Bat 21. Just curious. Anybody seen this movie? Okay. Old movie, probably even older. Gene Hackman, Danny Glover, actually good movie. Based on a true story about a high-ranking American officer shot down over Vietnam during the war who had a lot of secrets. All the Vietnamese, you know, the communists are trying to capture him. The Americans are trying to get him out. There's a scene in the movie. I don't think it actually happened, but it's a great scene. A helicopter trying to rescue the American officer gets shot down. And the helicopter pilot gets captured, and they're about to torture him and kill him. And right before he dies, he kind of looks over into the jungle, and he sees the American officer over there still alive. And he smiles. I love that because he's like, the mission goes on. I'm about to be tortured and killed. But it's okay because it ain't all about me. The mission is bigger than me. But, guys, here's one of the dangers <clears throat> when we are suffering, suffering tends to make you selfish and short sighted, does it not? myopically focused on in this moment I don't care about the rest of the world I care about being out of the pain understandably so a great commentator named Garrett Kidner says belief and morality are not guarantees of happiness and stability look back just quickly verse 18 chapter 10 verse 18 To vindicate the orphan and the oppressed so that man who is of the earth will no longer cause terror. I mean, that's what he's ultimately praying for, is God, I want all sin on earth to be wiped out. Good prayer. We should pray that. But we probably have a little bit deeper knowledge and insight into this than David does because go back to verse 7. Did anything about chapter 10, verse 7 stand out to you? His mouth is full of curses and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue is mischief and wickedness. You recognize that verse from anywhere else? It's one of the ones that Paul quotes in Romans chapter 3 when he says we're all sinful. And it's the one that nobody wants to argue with, right? I don't care how self-righteous you are. You really want to say you've never sinned with your tongue? You've never told a white lie? Right? There's been no deceit. In getting angry at sin out there in the world... The oppressors, which we should do. There's a righteous kind of anger. We should have it. But there's at least two dangers there. One is we can get angry at God. Like, hey, God, you're being apathetic. You've forgotten, and I'm angry at you. It's your fault. That's, That's obviously bad. But the other one is this. We can forget I still have some sin living in me. And if God wasn't patient and he just came down and just wiped out all the evil, I'm getting wiped out too. So when you're in this place of feeling forgotten pray and wrestle but understand God's patience because part of God's patience is redemptive to bring other people into the fold before the final judgment and the one man that's ever lived that never had one ounce of cursing or deceit in his mouth and he had much more pristine theology than all of us put together he went through an experience of feeling forgotten by God that none of us have been through. And he didn't just say, I got perfect theology, everything's fine up here. He wrestled. He vented his heart and his emotions. My God, my God, can't even call you my father right now. Why have you forsaken me? Why? It's wrestling. But he persevered. And by the end, he could rest. He could say, "Into thy hands I commit my spirit." And think about this, guys. When in our pain, we tend to get selfish and short-sighted, not the Lord Jesus Christ. Hanging on the cross for the sins of all his people, he thought about us. He thought about the glory of God. He was willing to stay. wasn't easy, he persevered through. And aren't we glad he did? He's our model and example of how to go through hardship. But so much more important, when we blow it, He is our Savior that covers all our weaknesses. Let's trust Him. Let's imitate Him by grace. We don't always have to understand God's ways. I wrote this in my notes and I almost deleted it because I'm like, is this blasphemous? But then I was like, well, no. You don't always have to like God's ways you do always have to trust Him and submit to Him. Willock commentator said this, From the eye of experience, the Lord sometimes hides Himself. But to the eye of faith, the Lord has made Himself known. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're so unworthy to be called Your people, and yet, that's the kind of gracious God and Savior You are. Help us to be more honest, more humble, more real, more raw certainly in our relationship with you in our prayer life, God. But even to grow in degrees in our relationship with other believers. Please take all of the good theology that we have in our minds and more and more close the gap. Sink it into the basement of our soul so that we can sing it with more passion, with more reality with more true belief, Lord. And in the hardest times when we feel forgotten, give us the grace to persevere and trust your long game. We pray all this in Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.